Well, good morning. Hey, all right, we're excited. That's good. Uh, 9 a.m., we had to charge them up a little bit. So, you know, we'll skip that for now because it sounds like we're all awake. That's good. Uh, I got a question for you. Have you ever wandered around in the dark and then tripped over something because you couldn't see it? Maybe the better question is how many times a day do you do this? Now, for me, this is like a regular occurrence. I'm not really proud of this, but just last week, there's a little door. Oh, there's Mitch. There's a little door that Mitch just came out of there. I came out of that door and I was going to that door back there. And what I realized after I turned the lights off in the room back here was that the lights were off in the whole building here or in this auditorium. And so it was completely dark, like dark, dark. And so probably what a normal person would do is say, I should turn the light on before I go through. But me, I decided, well, now's a great opportunity for a personal challenge. I'm gonna see if I can make it from this part all the way across to the exit. And so I started out with great strides of confidence and I made it, I guess, probably halfway, at which point I ran directly into some of these chairs over here. Uh, I, I started, you know, kind of, it's all happened in slow motion, at least in my mind. I, I tripped, I fell down. I, I not only took myself out, but I took three chairs out and I was laying on the floor, reflecting on my life and my choices. And I thought to myself two things. One, wow, was that stupid. And two, it really is difficult to see in the dark. It's really difficult. It's just, this is not just a physical reality, but this is a spiritual reality as well. We cannot see especially God or who Jesus is if we are walking in spiritual darkness. And so this is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. And, and John, the gospel writer, helps us understand more along this journey we're going to take about who Jesus is. Not just so that we can know about Jesus, but his purpose in writing this gospel is so that we can come to know Jesus. Because the difference between those two things is literally the difference between death and life. And so as we go through this journey together, keep in mind that the gospel of John is full of different ways that the writer is trying to help us understand who this Jesus is. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, he comes to us and he reveals that truth to us and all kinds of of things happen. Everything is different. And because of that, we're going to take our time to get through the gospel of John. It's not going to be a race, not going to be a personal challenge, like trying to see how fast you can go across the room. We're going to take our time because if we do this together, we will start to see over and over again, the foundations of our faith revealed in who Jesus is all throughout the gospel of John. So it's probably going to take the entire year for us to get through this. Uh, and I hope that you're on board uh, with that journey. I think that it's gonna be fascinating. I'm excited to, to take that with you. We're starting today in a very good place to start, the beginning, John chapter one. Uh, but before we dive in, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that you are so good and so merciful and by the power of your spirit, you call us together. And now Lord, I just pray that you will open our eyes. Open our eyes that we might see the light, the light of the truth 
of who you are, of who you are and, and what you've come to do, how you are making us new. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We ask now that by the power of your spirit, you touch each one of us, not by the words of Bob Bryce, but by your word, your word that comes to us and gives life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're calling this series Foundations because if you'll notice at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he uses that same phrase, in the beginning. Uh, now that, that phrase, of course, is, is similar. And actually, in the, if you look at the way that it's all phrased out, it's the same as what we find at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, in the beginning. So John is helping us understand more about the beginning. It's foundational to our understanding of who we are and who we are specifically, who we are in Jesus. And so he kind of gives us another dimension, another perspective of that. But he covers an awful lot just even in the first 18 verses of his gospel. He goes all the way from in the beginning, like what we're talking about in Genesis, to in the beginning, specifically how John is talking about the beginning, which is something different. We're going to get into what that actually is. But we've got all that, I mean, when you think about that expansive language, the cosmic language, the, the poetic language, all that we just heard, we just heard it on the, on the video. When you saw that, did, did it give you a sense of wonder? Did you see the imagery? Did you hear those words? And did you start to feel like, wow, just like we sang, God is bigger than I thought. God is so big, of course, we can't ever fully comprehend who he is. And that's okay. But John helps us understand who God is in Jesus. And that's what we want to really zero in on over and over again. But maybe when you see a video like that, it makes you think about being outside and staring up at the stars. And, you know, if, if you let your eyes adjust long enough, you can start to see more and more and more. And this creation is so amazing and it's so big and it's so expansive that it almost feels like, well, where do I fit into that? Where could I possibly be of any significance to a God who created all of this? And yet we have this God who wants to come to us in a personal way, a personal deeply personal way and invite us into new life. And so we're going to be taking a look at that. But when you think about the foundations of everything, of all that exists, we've got basically two different paths we can go down. You can argue that there's gradients in there and, and, and that's great. But today we're just going to focus on, there's two different ways that you can think about and understand the origins of everything. One way is what we would call from a believer's perspective, a Christian perspective, is that in the beginning God created God created, which means that it all started with God. And because of who we know God to be and believe God to be as Christians, we believe that God is very much alive. And so therefore, everything that has been created has come from this life of God. God was alive, and then he began creating all that exists. But then you could go the other way as well, because if if you're walking in spiritual darkness and you have not had your eyes opened by the power of the Spirit, 
what I just said sounds completely insane. It sounds preposterous. And so if you think about how many scientists, for example, some of the smartest people that have ever lived, they've tried to solve this problem, this, well, how did this all happen? In lots of different ways. I think about one of the smartest people and the wisest minds that we have in terms of scientific achievement uh, and, and theoretical thinking is Stephen Hawking. Uh, and if for, for you guys that are, are college students, um, you're probably closer than many of us to uh, the educational system that, that produces a situation where maybe not at Northwestern or Bethel, hey, that's a plug, free plug, uh, but maybe not at Northwestern or Bethel uh, because you know, we have some Christian foundation there. But if you go to a secular school and there's a professor that starts even talking about, even suggesting that maybe there might be the chance that there is a creator of all that exists, people get fired for that. The world does not want that to be true. And so we come up with all different kinds of ways that we go about it. So if you think of somebody like Stephen Hawking, super smart guy, he spent so much of his time either directly or indirectly trying to prove that God is a myth, that God doesn't exist, that there is no God, therefore God didn't create anything. So when you think about this, we're either coming at this from starting with life or starting with something else. We're gonna talk about what that something else is because if you start to talk about people who don't believe that there is a creator, don't believe in God, and you, you ask them enough questions, you eventually will hear people say things like, well, I don't believe in God, but I believe in science. Right? We've heard this, okay? But here's the thing, and I wanna free you from this today because God and science are not in competition. Okay, science helps us understand more about this creation that God has created. It's not one or the other. It can be both and it, it is both because this creation is amazing. And so when people like Stephen Hawking and others look at, well, how do we understand this? How do we think about this? All of that can be very fascinating, but we don't have to automatically say, well, there couldn't possibly be a creator because that's just nonsense. Because you know what? One of the most interesting things that comes out of the argument of, well, then how do you address the, the, the simple question of if there was nothing and then there was something, how did it happen? Both groups of people, believers, non-believers, have to address this. From a believer's perspective, Christian perspective, we say, well, God created. But from and an atheist perspective says, that, well, there is no God. Well, then it's all based on reason. Okay, well, tell me how reasonable this sounds. Because in 2010, one of the last books that Stephen Hawking wrote, he suggested that because there are things like the law of gravity that exist, then the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but that to me, I know this is a smart guy, but that to me sounds like more of the discussion I have with my children when I go in the basement and there's a mess and I say, where did this mess come from? And they say, we don't know. It was here. We just, it wasn't there and then it was here. We don't know how it came here. Doesn't really pass the smell test, but think about the links that we go to to try 
to go down this path. We don't want a God. We want to be God. That's not just a problem for some. That's a problem for all. All of us are dead in the sin of trying to be our own God until we come out of that darkness and into the light of who Jesus is. Matter of fact, uh, Stephen Hawking uh, said this, because this is, I think, interesting. We're always looking for, well, if there can't be God who created, well, there's gotta be something else. There has to be some other explanation. We have to go through this, all these gyrations of trying to prove it out. He said this once in an interview, if you like, you can call the laws of science God, but it wouldn't be a personal God that you would meet and put questions to. Now that's interesting. That suggests that he's actually arrived at the heart of the matter, maybe without even knowing it. Because the reality is that living in spiritual darkness means that we can't have anything but a distorted view of who God is. We cannot come to the right conclusions about who God is unless we come out of the darkness and into the light of who Jesus is. He is who gives us God's vision. We could, we could say it uh, a lot of different ways. And uh, one of the ways that we say it is that the light of Jesus gives life to God's vision. The light of Jesus gives life to God vision, God's vision. So just keep that in mind. When we are trying to see things ourselves, we will start to mistake the wrong things for God because we're desperately trying to grab hold of something that we think is stable and helpful and sure. But we can't see who God is until we come out of that spiritual darkness and into the light. And, and John says this over and over again in different ways by using this metaphor of light. Now, we may have dismissed this before and thought, well, you know, he just uses that word a lot. But I believe he's actually telling us something very significant by his use of the word light. In just these six verses, verses four to nine, listen to how many times he uses the word light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so this, this use of the word light over and over again, we might have just dismissed that and thought, well, that's just poetry. It's just repetitive for, for that kind of significance. But, but think about this. Light is a very interesting metaphor, especially in a world where everything feels unstable. I don't know about you. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're facing in your life right now. But I don't feel like there's a lot of stability in the world at present. And so whatever problems that we're facing, the struggles, the challenges, we've got sickness, death, uh, we've got hatred, we've got unrest, we've got people coming at each other from all different directions. 
it feels very chaotic, very unstable, very unsettling, and also very uncertain. We might even sometimes say things like, well, I just feel like the world is spinning out of control. I just feel like everything is, the earth is like almost spinning off of its axis. What can we grab hold of? We go down the list and we elevate all these false gods to try to be what we can count on, what we can grab hold to and where we can find hope. And it's especially true as everything continues to change and change and change and change some more. And then you start getting into the, to the reality that, well, as scientists have continued to study the universe, well, guess what? Turns out everything is in motion. Everything is moving. Everything is in a constant state of motion. And so when you think about, all right, well, what, do we, what can we say about the earth? It is rotating at a thousand miles per hour. You and I can't perceive this, but the earth is rotating at a thousand miles per hour. And guess what? It's also hurling around in orbit around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. But we don't feel that. We don't perceive that. But the universe itself is constantly shifting and moving. So what can we hold on to? What can be stable for us? I, I think about like if you've ever flown in a plane before. Uh, what happens when you're flying in a plane and you run into tur turbulence? What, what do people do? They grab onto the armrest because it seems sure and stable. I don't know what that's going to do for you, but it's a good... I guess it makes you feel better. But what about, put yourself in the passenger seat of a car. Put yourself, I tell you what, my son just got his driver's license a while ago. And so this is like a firsthand account for me. But if you put yourself in the passenger seat of the car and somebody starts accelerating unexpectedly, what do you do? <laughs> or they come up on an intersection and they'll slam on the brakes, grab the, you're trying to make sure that there's something stable but everything is moving. Everything is in a constant state of motion, even time itself. Now this is fascinating and don't tune out yet. It's fascinating to know that because of the fact that everything in the universe is moving at different rates of speed, that time itself is experienced differently depending on where you are in the universe. Now think about that. It makes my mind kind of explode. But the one thing when we think, well, time, 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 we always count on time. Not so. Depending on where you are, time is different. My wife told me if I said spaceship, then she was going to come and take me off the stage. So I won't say spaceship. But depending on where you are in the universe, time is even different. The one thing that we often think, well, at least we can count on that. And so in this universe that's full of constantly moving things, all of these different things that can be interpreted differently, experienced differently, all this different kind of stuff. In 1905, there was a guy you've probably heard of named Albert Einstein and, and his theory of relativity, this whole E equals MC squared, this whole work led Einstein to a fascinating observation. You ready for this? Everything is in motion in the universe with one exception. There is one constant thing in the entire 
universe. You know what it is? It's the speed of light. It's the speed of light. No matter where you are in the universe, no matter how fast you're spinning, no matter if you're headed toward the light source or away from the light source, the light, the speed of light is always a constant when it's not obstructed. It's 186,282 miles per second. It's always that. It's constant. And so when we think about, well, what must John be telling us then by using this metaphor of light for helping us to understand who God is over and over and over again? It's that God is stable. God is sure. God is constant. So isn't it interesting that this guy named John writes this almost 2,000 years before Einstein observes this? And even though Einstein is saying, if there is a God, he's so big and so complicated and he designed things, designs things to such a level of precision and mastery that it, it just, it can't possibly be something where you could ever know that God. And yet John is telling us that God wants us to know him and we are known by him. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it because God himself in, in Jesus, in the light of the world, is the only stable, consistent, unchanging, unwavering, dependable, reliable, constant thing in the entire universe. The light of Jesus gives life to God's vision because the light of Jesus then helps us understand who this God is and who we are in relation to him. This personal, deeply personal God. Both Stephen Hawking and Einstein said, well, there's no way you could ever know this God personally, and yet we find this God wants to know us personally. So if you're in a place in your life right now where you're feeling very insignificant, or you're feeling overlooked, or you're feeling very lost, know that God has something to say to you. There are three characteristics I want to talk about in, the, in John chapter 1, and the first is that. God speaks. God speaks. He spoke things into creation. He created with speaking because God's word is different than our words. When God says, let there be light, then there's light. When I fell on the floor and said, let there be light, there was no light because our words can only describe what already exists. But God's word creates exactly what it says. Now that's fascinating because God's word is reliable, trustworthy. It does what it says and that how God uses that word, Jesus. Remember, it's, it's defined right here. John calls uh, Jesus the light of the world 
through whom all things were made, the word of God. The word of God was spoken by God to create all that exists. So when God says, let there be light, of course, there's light. Hebrews uh, chapter one, verse two says this about the creation uh, of everything. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So it's through Christ that everything has been made. As the scripture says, there's nothing that has been made that wasn't made through the word of God being spoken. So speaking is something that we can relate to. Speaking is something that's personal. We understand something about personal communication. We understand something about how we can communicate with one another. And so God speaks. He speaks. That's step one in him proving to us that he is not only personal, but also knowable and understandable in terms of Jesus, who is the light of the world that clears up our darkened spiritual vision. Now, one of the foundational things about the Christian faith is that we say things, a lot of times we take it for granted, but we say things like, well, uh, God exists one God in three persons, right? It, who knows what those three persons are? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We say this a lot, but it's really impossible for us to comprehend. This is incomprehensible. And so we try all different kinds of ways to do this. You know, we have little demonstrations that we try and say, well, the Trinity, which Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God in three persons, we can explain it like this, but all of those metaphors eventually fall apart. All of those are inadequate. But John gives us some language here, right? In his uh, John chapter one, compared with Genesis chapter one, if we look at those two things together, we, we can find something very interesting because Genesis one says, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And at that point, God said, let there be light. Now we're not talking about Jesus being created at that point. We're talking about the light that we see. And then eventually we're talking about the sun and the moon. But so again, all three persons of God are active in God's creation. And so one way we might say this, just to help us relate a little bit more, is that the Father speaks the word. The word that is spoken is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then applies the word. Now you can think about that because it's, we will never fully understand this, but that's okay. God knows this. God knows the limits of what we can understand about him. And yet he still wants a relationship with us. The kind of relationship that he has in himself. Because if you think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what does that mean? If, if the Father speaks the word and the word spoken is Jesus and the Holy Spirit applies the word, then it implies that at the core of who God is, we find personal connection, we find unbreakable relationship, and we find uninterrupted communication. And here's the good news. God invites you and me into that same kind of relationship with him. He invites us into that. And so you might be saying, well, well how? How does that happen? Take a look at John uh, 
chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so that's the second characteristic. In Jesus, God became a human being. What better way to relate to us than to become one of us? God took on flesh and became one of us so that we would understand how to relate to him. We are to think of him, all of God, all of his character, all of the understanding that we have, we're supposed to understand is in Jesus. The light, that's what God wants us to know about him is who Jesus is. But we can't see that ourselves. We can't convince ourselves of that. We can't make rational arguments through that. We can only see that truth about who Jesus is by having the spirit of God open our eyes so that the light comes in and we can finally see things with God's vision instead of our own. But here's the thing. We would rather stay in the darkness. We would rather, like I said earlier, we would rather be God than have a God. And so we tend to stay in the darkness. We don't like this idea of this Jesus coming because at some level, we know that things are going to be different once we have a relationship with Jesus. And so instead we find comfort in the things that we can control or think we can control, the things that we find comfort in. And in order for us to understand what it means to be fully alive and fully human in the way that God designed, we can't continue to be in that spiritual darkness. We have to come out of that darkness and into the light. And God calls us into the light through his son who says, I've come for you. And even though he knew that taking on flesh and coming to live amongst us would mean that the world would choose to live in darkness and the world would reject him and beat him and torture him and crucify him and kill him. He knew that would happen all ahead of time. And here's the amazing part. He did it anyway. He did it anyway, knowing that this would be the way that he would redeem that which was lost. When we are blinded by sin, now I know the world tries to say, well, we don't have a sin problem. We do. And when we're blinded by that sin, then we can't ever see who this Jesus is for real. So the light of Christ is what helps us understand who Jesus is. And to see not just God, but to see one another with the vision that God has instead of what we might think. He's come in the flesh. The word became flesh so that we can have life. Not just any life, eternal life, abundant life. A life that we don't experience any other way. Take a look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. This is the same writer as the gospel of John, but this is a letter a little bit later in your New Testament. But listen to this, verse 12. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So we can't ever be fully and truly and completely alive like God wants us to be unless we have the son. Well, what does it mean to have the son? It means to look upon Jesus, 
to know who he is, to be in relationship with him, to trust him, to grasp hold of him as what is sure and stable, and to look to him as the light that leads our path forward so that we are no longer living dead in our sin and spiritual darkness, but are moving forward into the light of life that is Jesus. The third thing is that this life that he leads us to is not just any life. It's not just a fixer-upper. A lot of times, matter of fact, I kind of really like that show, uh, but uh, you know, they, they brought that back you know, and, and, and now they're, they're building up this, this house. And you, know, you see these, these homes that look like, well, maybe you should just get the bulldozer and then all of a sudden it's, it's amazing. They do all these wonderful things. That is not what is happening with you and God and me and God. God can't fix that which is broken in that way. The old has got to be put to death and the new has got to be raised to new life. That's the only way this happens. And so when John is talking about a new beginning and a new life, it's completely different and it doesn't exist until God's word creates it. And so that's the third thing, that this new life is only possible with Jesus. The new life is only possible with Jesus. And so in order for us to actually come out of the darkness and into the light, it's not, we can't find our way on our own. We can't make a way to solve this problem. No matter how much uh, physics we take and how many problems we try to solve and how many equations we come up with, we can't solve this problem. This has to be solved for us. And it's solved by this, John chapter eight. We're gonna get this to uh, this study several weeks, maybe months uh, down the road here. But John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus just outright says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's all about coming to Jesus and letting him be the light of your life to lead you forward. This new life is not just something that's physical, it's spiritual, and again, it's eternal. But we have to face the reality. Even if you've come to know who Jesus is, we have to face the reality that we oftentimes retreat back in to the darkness. We oftentimes can find ourselves wandering back to the old ways, uh, trying to solve problems the old way, trying to hold on to the old things that we used to trust. And so we have to hear this word from God again and again. God speaks to us through his word and, and he says, no, 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 we're putting that to death and we're raising you to new life. And that is God's fascinating creative work. And it doesn't happen just a kind of a one and done type of thing. We need this on a regular basis. We need to be brought into the light on a regular basis. Otherwise we start to wander away and get lost. Because again, we would rather have it our way. I've talked about Burger King Jesus before. Uh, we're, Jesus is not Burger King Jesus. We can't have him our way. We have to have him his way. And his way is offensive and it's threatening and it changes everything because it puts us to death and raises us to new life. And so the world is not ready for this. Look at verse 10. He was in the world and though, he was made, or, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Look at how hard we try to work to not receive Jesus. We try anything else. And yet there's always a few. There are always a few that God gets a hold of by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he opens their eyes and they see clearly for the first time who this Jesus is. And then listen to what happens. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Living in the light of Jesus changes everything. It changes us from having the burden of this blinded perspective of walking in spiritual darkness. It kills that and raises us to new life, a new life that's lived in the light of the truth of who Jesus is. It's the light of Jesus that gives, gives life to God's vision. And God does not see you the way you often see yourself. And so maybe today you're thinking, well, I'm just an insignificant person. What's that movie, The Lorax, where it's like on the head of the, yes. Sometimes we feel so small and so insignificant. And sometimes we start to believe that, well, maybe what Einstein and Stephen Hawking said, maybe this God could not possibly ever know me on a personal level. He certainly wouldn't care about me or whatever I'm going through. Just look at the stars and, and see how big God's creation is. How could he ever possibly know the struggles and the challenges in my life? And if that's you today, I just want you to hear that God comes to you and says, you are my child, my precious child. I forgive you, I give you my peace, and I raise you to new life, that you might have life to the full, that you might know what it means to be fully alive and fully human and no longer walking in spiritual darkness. So if that's you today, let the Holy Spirit right now in this moment open your eyes and show you the light of who Jesus really and truly is. And if you already know Jesus, don't think for a moment that we all don't need to be reminded of who he is. If you've been brought into the light, how many times in our lives do we try to install a little dimmer switch where we maybe turn the light down? When things get hard, when things get tough, when challenges spring up, we maybe say, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to the things I used to do before. Maybe I'll find my hope and my trust in, in money or, or power or politics or, or, or drugs or alcohol or sex or anything else. Maybe I'll find my hope there. If that's you today, Jesus is calling you back into the light. He's calling you back into the light right now in this moment because his word is different than our words. And so when he comes to you and says, you are a new creation, then you are a new creation. And so as we continue this journey together, 
I wanna give us three questions to think about, especially for those of you that are believers, you're Christians, you know who Jesus is, even though sometimes we all need a refresher. You have three questions I'm gonna give you. Now you can write these down. You can, they're in the app. You can do them on the app. I don't expect you to answer them right now. What I'm asking you to do is pray about these questions. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to search your heart and to reveal the truth about how to answer these questions. So whether you do that yourself or you do that with somebody else, even better would be maybe you do this together in a small group of people and you explore these questions together. The first one is this, am I living my life in a way that truly reflects the light that's come into me? Am I living my life in a way that reflects that light? In other words, do I share this good news of Jesus, the light of the world? Do I share this with anybody else? Or do I just try to keep it all to myself? Am I bringing others into the light, out of the darkness and into the light through the power of who Jesus is? That's the first question. Second question, am I living like the child of God that he's freed me to be? The truth is that when we come to this new life in Jesus, when the old has passed away and the new has been raised, then we have a new life where we are free to live in Jesus in a way that means we're no longer trying to scheme and calculate and manipulate and, and, and try to you know live in a scarcity mentality where it's all gotta be about me, 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 me. No, it's about others. It's about living in a way that reflects the love that Jesus has for us out into a dark, lost and broken world world. So are we living in a way that is evidence that we have a seat at God's table, not because we deserve it or that we've earned it, but because God has given it to us in his son. And the third question is, am I delighting in the new life that I've been given in Jesus? Folks, it's a tough time right now. It's a tough time in this world. It's a tough time in this country. It's a tough time in our communities. Maybe for you, it's even a tough time in your own family, with your own relationships. To me, it just seems overwhelming. And a lot of times when we're overwhelmed, it just seems like a good idea to crawl inside of ourselves and see if we can just muster up enough willpower to solve our own problems. Don't do it. It always ends in disaster. Matter of fact, it always ends in like starting at that door over there and walking in the dark to the other side and falling all over yourself, knocking over the chairs and wandering around in spiritual darkness. We can get lost. But I want you to hear this today. When you come into the light of who Jesus is and you know him and you trust him, then you know that you are his child, a child of God. You are his precious, precious child. And you've been adopted into God's family so that we are brothers and sisters, not just with Jesus, but with one another. Let that light shine. And so therefore there's no more tripping. There's no more stumbling. 
There's no more wandering around in this spiritual darkness, trying to find the light yourself, like I was crawling on the floor looking for the light switch. No. Instead, know this today, that the light has found you. The light of Christ has found you. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise that we have in you, for how you raise us to new life and you don't leave us dead in our sins. So Lord, we just ask that you make good on that promise in ways that surprise us and challenge us, but also assure us that you are our only hope, that you are the only constant, that you are what we can count on. Lord, we turn to you today and we reject the things that we are tempted to trust and believe in that are false and fake and not the true hope. And we turn instead to the light of who you are. We just ask, Lord, that you continue by the power of your spirit to be a beacon of of light and hope in us, that you may send us out into the world to be light and hope to all who you send us to. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. You've given us grace upon grace. It's in your precious, holy, mighty name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.